I think this crisis is highlighting some of the needs that the world requires. And, and it is obvious to me that creativity and human centricity are two of the ones that are lacking in many of the decision makers and, and leaders in, in the world. Hello, I'm Luis Arnal. I'm the global co-lead of Fjord, and you're listening to God Talks, double G-U-double-T. Hi, everyone. Maria here, and welcome to season one of God Talks, double G-U-double-T, a podcast focusing on business and tech for good, experience design, and gut feelings. Before we get started, make sure you visit our website gut.com, double G-U-double-T.com and subscribe or click on the link in the blurb to make suggestions or ask questions. It won't take longer than a minute and help this podcast grow. And if you like the content provided, show some love with some reviews and ratings. Now let's get started. Our guest today is Luis Arnal, who's working on designing a more human world at Accenture, where he serves as a global co-lead with a focus on Latin America. He joined Accenture Interactive after his company, Incitum, was acquired in 2020. And he's been working at the intersection of business, design, and social sciences for the past 20 years, does triathlons, and also believes in karma. So I'm, I'm super pleased to have you, Luis, on God Talks. It's a great time to catch up after so long and after your holidays again. And I'm going to kick this off with your Twitter handle, where you say that you believe in karma. So just before we start, I just want to mention that all the opinions and all this session is basically your own personal opinions. So can you expand on karma and jump into gut feelings? Do you get led by your gut feelings in your decision-making process in work and in life in general? Thank you, Maria. It's a pleasure to, to be here and, and thank you for, for the questions. Well, let me, let me clarify first uh, what I mean by I believe in karma. It means that uh, everything that you put in, you, you get out. The way that you uh, treat people is the way that you expect people to treat you. Having good karma means trying to do the best that you can for others and uh, hopefully expecting to receive the same treatment from others. So when I say I believe in karma means that I'm always good intentioned and I expect people to behave the same way that I behave. I've seen too many cases of people who are focused on the short term and that are trying to either take advantage of you or abuse or think that they are smarter than you. And, uh, and eventually I've seen a lot of those people come back and ask for forgiveness or eventually ask something about you that they didn't give you afterwards. For example, I've had, I don't know, a number of clients who didn't give me a chance to present to the company. And a few years after, they come back and they say, well, I'm an entrepreneur and I, I already know how hard this is. And uh, I, would, I, I need your help in, in doing something, right? And you always have to give help. But that's what I mean. You know, the world is too small. 
on the time that we have here is too short to mess around with people or trying to take advantage. Absolutely. I get you and I, I feel you on that one. And about the gut. So but do you also trust your gut when you're going to support someone or make a decision for work or for life? Well, my decision process uh, goes as, as follows. Maybe by describing this decision process, you will get a sense of, of how I make, uh, make decisions. So I have, I, I use heuristics or rules that help me make a decision without using the gut or my head in many situations. So, for example, one of the, the principles is, is saying yes, right, to any collaboration. So when people say, you know, like in your case, do you want to uh, participate in a podcast? You know, my first reaction, I don't even have to think about it or uh, sense it. My initial reaction is yes. I mean, that's a standard default answer for that. Yes, I would be excited to experiment something new. And then if that yes, it needs to be validated, then I will use the gut feeling, right, to see, okay, will this make sense or not? Is this something that I really uh, want to participate or not? Have I done this before? I become more rational and emotional about that, that answer. But, but I first, you know, before I use my gut, I use a, a heuristic because making decisions is energy consuming and time consuming and, and stress consuming, right? So I'd rather have default decisions. And afterwards, I can always change the decision, right? I can say, well, if, if you invite me, you know, let's go skydiving, right? My first reaction is yes, right? Because if I think too much about it, I may say, well, you know, heights, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit scared of heights. I don't know how much it will cost, you know, to go skydiving. I don't know when I will have time. So you start overthink and overthinking slows you down. And I'm a proponent of going fast and experimenting as, as many new things as, as possible. So this is why I use heuristics to help my decision making uh, and not only God or, or brain. Thank you for that. It's like you're also the person of personification of design thinking or the design thinking process in the way you live it. But I completely relate to the saying yes part in particular, because this actually was how I named my agency gut as well. Because when I started saying yes, I realized that doors were opening up for me. But when you say no, you don't experiment and you might miss out on so much. I like that one. So I guess we kind of know a bit about you now in uh, in the way you think. But who who is Luis? You know, what's your story from starting off as a as a designer, jumping on into getting acquired? It's it's hard to to try to describe uh, oneself, but uh, but I think one of the characteristics that I that I have or who I am is I'm a very um, adventurous person. You know, when I was a kid, I was very scared of many things, you know, darkness and robbers and crime and, you know, so many things, you know, to be scared of. And then I realized that a lot of the fear that exists in the world lives inside our heads, right? That is not really darkness that will affect us. You know, darkness does nothing to us. It's it's our head that invents the stories about you know all the dangers of darkness that paralyzes us. So when I realized that it was in my head, all the fears were in my head. I, I said, well, 
there is nothing that I'm fearful for, right? Because nothing is really affecting me. It will affect me if I think about it. But if I don't think about it, or if I think positive things about it, it will not affect me. So I grew up as a very fearless person, trying to experiment as many different things as, as possible. So I think when I became an entrepreneur, that was one of the drivers that allowed me to, to grow my company and eventually embark on, a, on an acquisition and embark on, on, on different responsibilities that I have right now, because you need to realize that fear lives within, within you. But I'm also a very obsessive and, and goal-oriented person. I'm driven by achieving things, you know, delivering a report, sending out a, a fantastic email, leading an organization, growing and expanding to other countries. So I'm always setting goals uh, for me, both long-term and, and short-term. And I obsess around those those goals. I cannot stop thinking about, you know, when I'm going to be able to accomplish something. And I, I work towards accomplishing those goals. So I think those two things, the fearless aspect of me and the obsessive nature of, of me have been crucial to achieving what you know trying to achieve all of that comes with also very negative or not that positive characteristics right like uh, I still suffer from imposter syndrome and, and I, I I work for for many hours and, and and things like that but those are the sacrifices that you still have to do to, to achieve things. Yeah, that's uh, interesting because although you have over 20 years of experience, right, you're still going through that every day. It's like you have itchy feet all the time and each time you achieve something, you're, you're like, oh, no, that's no, I need more. I need more. Right. So and this is what keeps you going. Um, you tapped into something very interesting as well, which I noticed with other uh, Latin Americans as well. Uh, you're from you're based in Mexico. You grew up in Mexico in, in Mexico. This is why you mentioned crime and uh, other things and I'm from the Middle East. So it's like I can relate to what you're talking about, although it's maybe different circumstances. But the day to day life, I think we go through the same thoughts. We question everything, which you don't find in some other cultures as well. And I feel that this gives you additional strength in things you may want to achieve. But uh, the downside of it is, you know, you're brought up in an environment where she should always think about all those things and it can be tiring. So yeah. um, it, it builds character and, and makes you uh, resilient. You know, I mean, yeah. resiliency is, is a word that we have heard a lot in the, in the last year, but you know, it existed before COVID and people who grew up in developing countries mm -hmm. that have uh, many different problems and the ones that, that exist in the US or, or in Europe, we have grown with living and accepting and managing those situations and those problems in such a way that it makes us probably stronger, or at least we know how to manage those situations better than other people. There is a, a story of uh, when I was living in, in Chicago, because I lived there for four or five years, and I saw one one day an accident uh, in in the in the highway. You know, because the the car in front of me was going in their lane, and the car next to it crossed the lane without putting the the signal. Right, they crossed the lane and they they bumped into the the car in front of me, and it caused a, a minor accident. And I said, well, these guys are stupid, you know? I mean, it's not the stupid guy who didn't put his arrow. It's the other stupid guy who didn't realize that that car was approaching them. 
Yeah. And they could have avoided that accident. When you grow up in, in these countries where nobody knows how to drive, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, and, and nobody takes classes and you can get your license, you know, almost without knowing how to drive. Then you, you become a much better driver, right? And, and sure. the same happens with crisis, with financial crisis, with health crisis. I believe in these countries, we are a little bit stronger and we can we can manage the situations, a crisis much better than other people who haven't been through similar situations before or who haven't experimented this before. Yeah, for sure. I can totally relate to the driving, but to many other things as well, which I tend to call the blinkered approach, not by choice, but it's just when, when you're confronted to those situations that are unthinkable in some regions, you become creative, whether you want it or not. So I have so many stories on that, but that's not a platform to talk about this. It's just like ridiculous things, even during the war and so on, where you wouldn't even, it's not conceivable. I'm going to jump back into this subject in a while, but I want to ask you about how has it been for you to move from the agency model and mindset to the corporate mindset? Yeah, I used to run 200 people, seven country agency. It was mid-sized agency, but global in, in nature. And now we joined a big, you know, consulting company and we are now part of the largest design organization in the world. And to be very frank, the nature of the work is not that different. Even though we work in a large organization, the type of work that a consulting, that a small agency does is very similar to the the work that a large consulting company does because we work in helping our clients solve problems, right? And, and it's the type of problems that we help solve are very similar as an agency than a consulting. I see more difference in designers working for corporations who are, are responsible for a product or a service, like a bank or a telecom operator or whatever, and different from people working in, in startups, right? or people working in academia. But the nature of the work is very similar. Of course, there is bureaucracy and there is a lot of larger networks to play with in a large organization like Accenture. But the nature of the work is is the same. Now, the reach and the impact that you can have in a large organization is much, much greater than the one that you can have as an agency. Because here, you're interacting with people who are not only designing something, but implementing that solution and making sure that the client follows a schedule and making sure that the client will do something with this. And even clients expect to do something with it, right? Whereas in an agency, you can, you're almost playing on the ideas game, not on the execution game. And, uh, and that has been you know, a big driver for us to join Accenture was precisely that. The rush that you get, the happiness that you get when you see one of your solutions being implemented and, and being launched is, is unparalleled. And it's something that as a small agency, you, you don't get to see that often. Whereas in a large organization, you do get to see it because clients won't spend their money without making sure that that money is conducive to a, to a product or a service in the market out there. So, so that has been a very positive aspect of us joining a big consulting company is the ability to see our ideas be executed and being launched. 
I guess, uh, yeah, in those large companies, you can make much more impact. In actual fact, you have more responsibilities towards uh, the, the society in the country and the regions as, as a whole as well with, with the solutions you can implement because a small mistake can lead to a massive crash. But, you know, a, a well-implemented solution can help massively. I, I love this topic of if you want the designers in the consulting world uh, or traditional or big four, if you want to call them in those kinds of companies, because I've um, been there in the early days of the um, creation of the design team at Deloitte Digital. And there was an educational process behind the scenes just to allow designers and traditional business consultants to to talk, just to be on the same wavelength, because design would be oh, can you fix this presentation or, you know, colors, not for everyone, but for some people. And it was a very interesting journey. How do you envision the role of designers in consultancies? Because even though it's not new, it depends on the regions, it depends on the companies, but also how to support in this education process. So design becomes blended somehow. Right. It is a fact that uh, the business world still has a lot to learn about the design world. And it is good. It is good that there is some sort of ignorance between one side and the other. There is always a moment of, of discovery of, of the, you know, what their interests or the techniques or the methods or even the, the way of thinking of, of the other side, right? I think one of the key aspects for ensuring the, the success of this partnership between design and business is empathy, is trying to understand who that other group is, what they are looking for, what is their goal, how are they thinking, and knowing how to work with those teams to get the best of both, creating sort of healthy friction between those two teams. Because you don't want to homogenize, you don't want designers to start thinking as as business people, right? Uh, and you don't want business people to, to start you know, thinking as designers because you don't want to achieve this homogenization of a diverse team into a single way of thinking. You yeah. want to preserve those two ways of thinking because those two ways, you know, the very logical, the, the analytical, together with the, with the intuitive, the creative, that combination is, is fantastic. That, that combination makes magic right it's, it's like like if you have um, a bolognese pasta right you you have the pasta on one side and then the bolognese sauce on the other one you, you you don't put everything in a blender right and you come up with a with a pasta bolognese juice right that's that's horrible you need you know the texture of of the pasta and and the flavor of of the sauce combined right and that's what what creates a magic so in, in a similar way, you need to think about those teams collaborating in, in such a way that each of them preserves some aspect of their mindset, of their decision making or of their problem solving capability and combined and, and be open to hearing what the other side says. Right. So business people should be more open to creative techniques. Right. Idea generation techniques. They may come up with you know, some great ideas, maybe not as good as ideas from designers, or maybe sometimes you know, they surprise us and they have you know, fantastic ideas. And then the designers also need to be open 
to to business people instead of criticizing that approach or saying, well, these guys are only interested in you know in how to make money out of this, and I'm interested in the human side of it. We need to think about ways to combine those and, and preserve those two types of cultures and, and preserve the, the ways of, of working. Now, designers working in consulting or, or very close to, to business tend to be very, very strict with the process. But even the process, uh, the design process could be improved when you add some techniques or some ways of thinking from, from business. So we need to be aware that you know, our process is not perfect, that every problem requires a different approach or different process. And you need to tweak all the time the design process to make it useful to the situation that you have at hand. For sure. I totally agree with what, what you're saying. As long as one of the, the parties doesn't try to overpower the other one, in that case, it would be, you know, the traditional <laughs> trying to overpower. But we, we, I think with time and with willingness to to work together because I think the best thing is just to put them to work together <laughs> and and they will figure it out. As you said, the design process is not perfect. It's not one. It changes based on every project. So even the designers can't say, no, they're not following us because I also don't believe that designers can change the world. They can help, but you know, we need traditional consultants like we need everyone else. It's the role is just to put everyone together, right? I think you need to to understand that that collaboration takes place in in a period of time, right? It's, it's not a one session where that happens, right? Yeah. It's, it's it's several months. So when you say making sure that the other one doesn't overpower, maybe in one session they they you know we do everything that the business people say that we need to do, and it's fine, right? Because there is a moment where we will take the lead. Right in the ideation, we we may take the lead. In the communication part, we may take the lead. But in other sides, we we should allow them to to lead because you know it's it's all a fluid process. It's not a one battle that you will judge. You know who leads a project on. Yeah. It's it's several uh, moments of interaction where that happens. Yeah, and finding the right balance, I guess that uh, I think comes over time too. And. I think we can expand forever on this topic because it's interesting. You know, if you dig into each project, it would be different. But on another hand as well, and I know it's a topic of interest for you as well. How can designers in consultancies and outside, you know, drive positive social change, like beyond the traditional CSR? you know, tapping into social innovation at different levels. I think you also have a talk about the designer as a behavior architect. Well, if, if you realize in the world, different people are aiming towards different goals. And one of the main goals of a designer, I've always said that design, design has two goals in mind. One is, is related to creativity, to differentiation, to thinking about the new. But then the second goal is doing it relevant and human-centered. So those are the two goals of design. Business wants to achieve profitability, efficiency. Technology wants to use new technologies or discover new technologies. So different types of people have different goals. And, and the goal of design, one of those goals is human centricity. And we should take that flag as one of our main additions to, to the world. We are the ones that take care of the human conditions. 
we are the ones who are thinking about people throughout the, the decision-making process. We bring people to the table. We, we are the channels to, to understand the people's needs. We are the ones that eventually make the decision in, in terms of whether the button will be read or easily read or not, or the information architecture is, is simple to understand, or whether people will adopt it, or whether people will have fun with the, with the product or the service. We, we should preserve that as our main value to, to the world. So I think we are responsible for making sure that the solutions and the companies and the organizations and the, and the ideas that come out of in the future are relevant to, to people. And if we can achieve that, we have achieved a lot of things, right? So I think it, it goes beyond environmental sustainability. You know, it, it goes towards making things easy for people, understandable, really focused on, on people's behaviors and mindsets and, and mental models and making sure that the solutions that we envision in, in the future are human-centered in the, in the wide aspect of, of human. Human means, you know, uh, environmental sustainable uh, as well, right? We need to preserve life yeah. and the planet. And, and uh, if you make something that, that will harm the environment, well, that's not human. Um, sure. Because the human needs to create an, an environment, an environment where, where humans can, can prosper and, and thrive. Right? And, and without uh, environmental conditions, we won't be able to do that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I'll sh share with you behind the scenes what I'm working on with a foundation I'm involved in. And this is one of the key elements. It's about giving as well everyone a voice. In today's world, we don't need only the big or large. Um, but if, if each person can just give one dollar together, we can make a big difference in that sense, because the dollar is not just about the money, but about the impact you can do as a collective. Um, I, I also want to ask you and just go back to the initial or the initial part of the conversation. We talked about emerging countries and uh, the developed world as well. How do you see the role of the designers to build or create um, better experiences? And I'll tell you why I'm asking this question as well, because often you have companies in emerging markets hiring uh, designers or companies from the developed world. And some like, how do you manage to understand the cultures in those other countries where you have no clue about how things might be. It goes beyond just talking to, to people, you know, and trying to understand the landscape. You should understand the bigger and the larger context. How is it also possible to achieve mixed teams? Because you need both. You also need fresh opinions, which is great. This is why you get people from the developed world as well and vice versa. Well, you, you touch on a very important topic, which is the discrimination that we're seeing in the world between the, the people who have the means or the context for more things to happen and the other ones who have no means or no context for many things to happen. And it's a way to describe this divergence that we're seeing with human evolution, where the difference between the haves and the have-nots is much bigger now. And you you see it in, the, in, in COVID, uh, in, in this pandemic, those differences have been growing farther and farther apart. The people who have money have much more money now in one year. And the people who didn't have money have much less money now. 
and you can see it you know, in within a single country or with you know within the global collection of, of countries countries without the means to buy a vaccine will be left behind countries without the means to have big uh, technology companies invest in them are being left behind and this is a real problem because you know if we have two billion people with the means and with the technology uh, uh, solutions very advanced technology solutions and then four billion people or five billion people i don't know how many we are without them it's like creating the conditions for a subset of humans in the world and not creating the conditions or, or solutions for for the other ones this is a catastrophe i mean if, if we continue on the same path where will this lead us it will lead us to a discriminated world you know not only one planet but having two separate planets you know the people without the means and, and the people with the means so i think as designers we have a responsibility to to make sure that we develop solutions also for bringing people who have no technology means to use technology for their their needs or to use design for their needs and ensure that evolution or that we are providing solutions that will benefit their lifestyle and their needs. And, and those solutions are not the same that, that the ones who have technology uh, require. We don't want a social network for people in rural India. Maybe there is a different solution. Maybe there is a, a different types of social network for people in rural India to share techniques and know-how or exchange props or exchange products. So we need to think about what are the needs of those 6 billion people who are being left behind. And, and this is not just a responsibility of the design, but you know the, the whole business uh, environment. I mean, we're talking here about investing in Bitcoins. You know, that's something totally outside of even the cognitive arena of 6 billion people. So it's, I don't think the the way things are being shaped up uh, right now, if we exclusively spend time designing things for advanced economies or the next evolution of an e-commerce platform, when the majority of people in the world don't even have they don't even have experience with the e-commerce platforms. Yeah, I, uh, I, I get, I get your point, and and unfortunately, the way we're seeing things are happening. It's you mentioned it is when the, the the gap is is growing between those who have means, as you rightly said it, and and those who who don't, and those who kind of had it. Yeah, they they kind of no, no longer have it. So let, let's see how how things unfold. But you tapped into something interesting, and one of the episodes is on safe water for all. Uh, we actually had a chat today <laughs> to, to record the podcast. And I have this question because we talked about those who have means and those who don't, talking about corporations as well. Now, if we look at COVID, I think the uh, British government allocated about 12 billion pounds. Uh, I read that in the Financial Times for corporations to try to find fight COVID or trace COVID. And it was an absolute flop. Do you think corporations are doing enough in that sense to bridge this gap or they're helping in the opposite way? Well, very few corporations have cracked the, the, the code of profiting from, from the people who have no, no means, right? 
and that is something wrong with the with the business world if we keep judging and evaluating the success of corporations based on how much profit they make there is no way that they can make a a, a profit from from 6 billion people or or it is incredibly hard to to do that but if we judge the success of a corporation their stock price based on the impact that they're having in the world then we may be able to to reverse this and have more corporations interested in impact and less on profit and if you change this variable and you let's assume that the stock price of a company is based on a combination of profit and impact then you will have tons of companies trying to figure out how to create a positive impact in the world but without profit as one of their main 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 drivers i think we're seeing a, a change towards that we're seeing a trend towards that but it's still uh, nascent and and it's still you know i'm hoping that in the next 5 10 years we'll see much more of that let's assume that that a telecom operator invests in in launching antennas and uh, and and giving terminals phones to people without the means to buy phones and and designing an interface or an app that is relevant to those people without asking for a credit card right or without asking for money for them to use it right then they will be able to measure the impact that that technology or the product and service is delivering to people and maybe they they improve their 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 way of life or they make crops more efficient or they help people you know uh reduce crime i don't know uh, i mean there are many ways to to measure impact without asking for dollars in in return so i i i foresee that 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 will happen more and more that people will start tracking and communicating uh and and that will eventually lead to a higher valuation of a company because their their the impact that they're having is big and it's not only measured in terms of how much money they they deliver or how much money they deliver to their shareholders but on on impact you're touching on an interesting uh, topic and and I'm glad we're talking about this because this is also the the topic of the podcast uh, you know business and tech for good in actual fact this is one of the main reasons why I left the corporate world as well because I I thought so that there's so much potential to make impact that's just unseen and that that doesn't cost much actually if if you want to do it because you have the resources anyway it's it's a big challenge and today as you said it became a trend or a buzzword we we will see but for sure in a good way people are talking about it i cannot imagine it's is is not a buzzword a future that is very positive when you have is is going to be a, a massive change because i don't see or the divisions between you know the the haves and the have nots mm-hmm. uh, so so big i mean that that will not end up, end up well <laughs> for no no for sure but i mean startups or many of the startups do it it's part of what what they, they do part of their dna the challenge is with the corporations how can we get beyond planting trees just to feel good about it that has no relevant impact or beyond 
just donating presents for Christmas. We want people to become, I don't like the word empowered, but in, in a certain self, self-sufficient, not just needing someone to feed them every day. This should be, I think this is a key differentiator in the way a corporation can make an impact as well. And some do it as well. I think Coca, I'm not advertising here, but Coca-Cola was doing stuff in Latin America and so on, but we need more of this. Thank you so much for that, Luis. I don't know if there's anything you would like to add. I know we can go on forever, but... Uh... Yeah, I know. Uh, no, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's a wonderful time to be a designer because the world needs creativity and the world needs people who look after people who design solutions around the, the, the mindset, the behaviors, the expectations, the perceptions of, and the needs of people. And uh, we should be very proud of the work that designers are doing in this realm because, because we have a big responsibility to make the world a place that is uh, better for, for people and that requires uh, creative solutions that a lot of other people are not figuring out. They're not figuring out the, the type of solutions okay. that we need for this world, especially politicians who, um, I don't know who advises them, but I'm, I'm sure it's not designers, but, but we need, uh, and, and I think this crisis is, is highlighting uh, some of the needs that the world uh, requires. And, and it is obvious to me that creativity and human centricity are two of the ones that are lacking in, in many of the decision makers and, and leaders in, in the world. So I'm, I'm really looking after a much brighter future for all of us when we are able to translate these strengths that we have worked on, you know, uh, for the last you know, hundred years as designers and apply them more and more to big, wicked, grandiose problems that we have nowadays. So, um, yeah, um, I, I leave you with that, uh, with that idea and hopefully yeah. we can inspire some of the people in your audience to, to think about that. I like the way you wrapped it up. If anyone wants to know more about you or listen to more, where can we find you? They can follow me on Twitter. I'm not that active, but uh, but they can follow me on Twitter or send me a, an email. Always happy to hear from people around the world. Cool. Thank All you, right. Maria. It Thank was a pleasure so talking to you. This was a great episode with Luis Arnal. We spoke about the decision-making process, heuristics and saying yes. We spoke about resilience. We spoke about the nature of the work in consulting. We also spoke about partnerships, empathy and design and traditional consultants. And we spoke about the fact that corporations are not doing enough. They still did not crack the code in merging impact with profit. A quick reminder, all the opinions and thoughts shared in this podcast are personal opinions of Luis Arnal. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, then please rate and review Gut Talks. If you'd like to ask a question, head over to gut.com, double G-U-T-T.com and ask away. And don't forget to enroll in the free crash course on mastering working sessions with post-its. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>